I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 27 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss what soccer games we can look forward to this summer after the end of the European seasons. Fox and NBC go all in on Bundesliga and Premier League coverage on the final days of the season this weekend and much more, including some news for streaming uh, you streamers out there and cord cutters. So, Kartik, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> Excellent. My name is Christopher Harris, uh, Kartik Krishnaya there, uh, my co-host, and uh, we will go through what we've been watching this week, as well as uh, lots of the latest news and uh, analysis. Before we jump into that, Kartik, uh, man, last week's show, we got so much feedback, I was blown away. And the same thing happened like several months ago, too, where we talked about MLS TV ratings or just MLS TV in general. Um, and at that time, too, I was just blown away. Actually, no, that, at that time, I think I was blown away by just the amount of uh, negativity about Fox in general. This time I was blown away about just, I mean, it's amazing how many people had, and we're talking about thousands of people that responded to this um, not just the podcast, but also to um, to the actual article we posted on the World Soccer Talk website. How many people had their own ideas about what's wrong, why they're not watching? Um, it was, I, I don't know, I was surprised by that, Kartik. How, how about you? Um, it's hard to say because part of me is surprised always, but then a big chunk of me is not because it seems like as I interact in, and we all live in kind of our own bubbles or our own vacuums of, in, in the soccer world. But as I, I interact with more and more people who were favorable and cheerleaders a few years ago for Major League Soccer and Major League Soccer's TV strategy, there's more skepticism now than ever. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I believe MLS itself is becoming aware of, however reluctantly and however slowly, that they need to make significant changes. Now, of course, the changes that we outlined last week that Sports Business Journal had originally reported on are, are not positive changes in, in my, um, from my perspective. But the, the, the feedback we got this week just basically gave us the whole gamut of re, uh, reasons why people 
uh, have quit on Major League Soccer and just don't think it's a compelling television product. Yeah, I, I, actually, the biggest surprise for me, I think, was the um, the MLS fans, I mean, hardcore fans that watch MLS week in, week out, that don't necessarily watch European soccer. Um, MLS is, is their soccer brand, and, and that's what they consume, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But the amount of negativity and uh, that they posted, I, I couldn't believe it, where they were kind of just agreeing with the article in terms of, and, and, and the podcast, and, and just saying, like, yeah, um, I, as an Orlando City supporter, this person said, or many people said, I don't watch the rest of the league. The, the rest of the league has no relevance to me. I just right. watch my and team. I, and, I, and I've said that uh, since we started this podcast, or yep. changed the theme of this podcast, was that Orlando in particular, because I interact with their fans more than anyone, uh, there's really no interest in the rest of Major League Soccer. So every time MLS has added a new market, which is successful from an attendance and marketing standpoint, Atlanta, Orlando, Portland, Vancouver, uh, Montreal, and New York City FC, just those, and now Minnesota, over the course of the last few years, you have not seen a bump in national television ratings. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Yet each of those teams has been very successful at the gate, even though now Don Garber wants to uh, attack Montreal fans, which was bizarre. But they've all been, um, they've all been very, very uh, successful in their local communities, at the gate, in driving interest toward the league. Um, So I think uh, it shows that the league has no context. And people like supporting their clubs. They like uh, going out and having a good day, watching a a football match, enjoying their club and connecting with their club. But there's no greater context to the league uh, for them. And we know that that's not the case with other leagues around the world. Yeah, and we've talked to, for, for listeners who are listening into this and, and uh, interested in this, we've done a bunch of episodes in the past about um, our ideas about how to uh, improve uh, TV ratings for Major League Soccer, um, a whole bunch of different things we talked about. So we've had probably like three or four different episodes, if you go back into the archives, uh, that go into more detail. But but uh, yeah, it was interesting, Kartik. I, I just uh, it kind of ignited uh, a firestorm um, and uh, kind of tapped into a lot of... Um, I guess, frustration, really, among whether it's MLS fans or f- fans that don't watch MLS. I mean, everyone kind of chimed in and kind of shared their opinions, why they're not watching or why they aren't watching national broadcasts as much. And we'll get into that a little bit, too, as far as the TV ratings for this past weekend. Um, lo- lots of games to to, uh, to chew on there. So speaking of this past weekend, Kartik, and this past week, actually, um, what, have you, what have you been watching that's uh, stood out? Any, anything of, of note? That stood out. Uh, I, I guess the multi-match from ninety on FS2, I thought was pretty well, was very well done. I really liked the job Ross Dyer does always. But the American alert that they imposed, I guess that's something to expect from Fox, right? But I thought it was uh, absolutely annoying. It was um, it, it had very little context in terms of what we were talking about, uh, what they were talking about on that broadcast, which was the relegation fight which is real intense in Germany, and the, um, the fight for Europa League places. And then also uh, the third, fourth jockeying between, uh, between Dortmund and, um, and Hoffenheim, because remember, a team that's fourth for one more season in the Bundesliga, Premier League, and, uh, and La Liga will have to go through a, uh, a playoff stage, a, uh, a third-round playoff stage, which uh, will be done away with the following year. So... And also something to look forward to for Championship Sunday on NBC uh, between Arsenal, Man City, and Liverpool that uh, it's not just a fight for four 
but it's third. Uh, that was really compelling. All of all three of those storylines I outlined for you uh, on multi-match 90, yet they kept falling back to this American alert, which to me was quite annoying. Uh, the number of goals that went in uh, during the day were, were pretty uh, amazing in the Bundesliga. Of course, uh, the uh, the game between the top two teams in the league, Leipzig and um, and uh, Dortmund, ended up with nine goals. So it was unfortunate from my perspective that Leipzig Bayern. lost that game. Right. Yeah, right. Um, it was unfortunate that uh, Leipzig lost to Bayern because um, we were in a position where uh, I thought there were a lot of questionable calls in that game, and also it would have been nice to see at least artificially the table kind of close up. So uh, instead of a seven-point deficit, it's now 13. And it was it was well presented, but again, there's the, the, the desire of Fox to force kind of American – everything American on us. And that's, that's a editorial policy that comes from the top of that network. It's not going to change folks. Uh, if you don't like that, your international tournament viewing being spoiled by that, uh, find another option, go watch the world cup and the confederations cup this summer on, on, uh, on Telemundo right. and watch world cup qualifiers in Spanish because Fox is not, is never going to pull back from that. And that was obvious mm-hmm. uh, during this, that they had to push the whole American angle even. And so to the point where, You've got really gripping action. You've got uh, mind staging uh, a huge comeback to, to to climb out of the relegation zone. Th- uh, three or four goals. I can't remember. They ended up winning three two or four two. They were down two nil. You had that going on. You had Byron's coming back again uh, uh, against Leipzig. You had Leverkusen coming back to rescue a point, which get, gets them safe. Uh, this is Leipzig is. I uh, was excuse me. Leverkusen's a team that's been in European competition uh, the last seven seasons, and in fact, last uh, this this season advanced out of a group in the, in the UEFA Champions League that included Tottenham, and Tottenham didn't advance, and Tottenham has finished second in the Premier League. That tells you how good the Bundesliga is, because until this week, until Leverkusen State had come back, there was a potential they were going to get relegated. Yet all that happening, yet Fox had to switch to um, Christian Pulisic checking into the Dortmund game, because it was an American alert. Yeah, it's 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 a shame too because multi match ninety. I'm I'm a big fan of. I mean, the actual concept of it, how well it's done, um, and they've been doing this for a couple of years now. They've been doing it mostly on Fox Soccer Plus and Fox Soccer to Go, kind of behind the scenes, basically beta testing it, um, especially during the Champions League matches. And it, it was a godsend this past season. I've watched more multi match ninety than I have ever done, and I, I love it. And I, I know there's a lot of hardcore soccer fans out there that love it too. But it the American Alert thing. It, it just cheapens it. They, they don't need to do that. I mean, that, that's just one of those things where they're just like shoving it down your throats. Um, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, the Premier League through NBC, they've had their own whip around shows too that they've done for, I think, New Year's Day for the last couple of years or the last few years. Um, but they don't cram down your, like, Lyndon Gooch is coming on for Sunderland. I mean, yeah, yes, it's great news. But you have to keep perspective in terms of what's happening, what's relevant, what's most important from a soccer fan's perspective. I don't think people are tuning in to the Bundesliga because there are Americans playing. Yes, there are some that will tune in because Americans are playing. But for the most part, people are watching for the pure enjoyment of, of soccer and the sport. So it's a shame that they're, they're, they're trying those cheap tricks because, like you said, Kartik, too, that's the worry. And that's the worry we've had all along with Fox's coverage of the World Cup. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it exceeds our expectations. But that's the, th- the, the fear is that they're just going to cram the whole rah-rah-rah America. And yes, we want to support the United States as much as anyone else does. But, 
but you have to realize there's other teams playing too and there's other fans of other countries and other fans of other teams watching too so yes the majority are americans but you don't have to do that i mean it's not even necessary so what else kartik <laughs> yeah i mean i i think to agree um with that and and they're not realizing who their core audience is for these uh, european soccer matches at all so i, I mean it's it's uh different i guess if they uh are covering major league soccer and they're making a big deal of uh of, of some u.s national team player uh playing there but this is uh it, it, a situation where they don't understand their core audience at all um yeah so anyway one more thing to add, one more thing to add to that too so um alexi lalas has his own podcast it's called the mutant gene i think it is um and then most recently i think about a week ago he had a, a guy on the show uh named uh, ben grossman who is working for fox sports as consultant and and this topic came up in in a roundabout way and essentially the question came up about kind of different styles like espn has their style nbc has theirs and of course fox has theirs too and um this guy ben grossman was kind of saying that well fox is fox wants to do an american broadcast of soccer um and and he kind of labeled nbc's as a british style i would argue that nbc's if you took out the the british accents in that and replaced it with Oh, and and Cal, Cal Martino is probably the best analyst on that show. But you take some American voices, whether it's Stu Holden or Brian McBride, whoever they are, and put them into that show. It's not necessarily a British style of of actually broadcasting soccer. Yeah. It's more, Arlo White. Arlo White is not British in his uh, yeah in his presentation he's, style at all. He's very American. He's a more yeah. He's more American than most Americans are as far as his style. So so the style to me is yes, it's British accents. But if you I re- think it's very patronizing to say that just based on British accents. Right. That's that is a continuing problem with the very uh, very stereotypical reaction a lot of Americans give. Uh, Americans who are protective of Major League Soccer or U.S. Soccer give uh, to anybody who has a British accent, anyone who uh, enunciates their words maybe in in an anglicized way. So that that to me that's quite bizarre because I think uh, Rob Ural is is uh, is pretty Americanized in how he analyzes. I think uh, Robbie Musto certainly is. Uh, Kyle Martino uh, certainly is. I, I, am not, maybe Rebecca Lowe's presentation style is, uh, is more yeah. uh, anglicized, but I would say that Arlo White's is not at all. Right. And he's the, he's the guy who's calling most of these games. In fact, I would think that if you, if you, if, if you just kind of neutralize the accents, you might think John Strong, the way he calls a soccer match. And I, I like John Strong a lot. I actually like John Strong better than I like Arlo White calling matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Strong is probably more anglicized in the way he presents a game, to be honest with you, yep. if you're going to get into stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he uses uh, pitch and, and different things like different British expressions, uh, his style. He often says that Martin Tyler was one of his biggest inspirations growing up, kind of listening to him doing the FIFA video games and learning a lot, a lot from that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, I just thought that the, the comment from this Ben Grossman guy was a little bit condescending and, uh, and also kind of just trying to say, okay, well, Fox is doing it, it this way because this is the American way, as if they kind of think that they know the best way to actually broadcast soccer, where, yes, there are different styles from around the, 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 the world. But to me, you, you know what I mean? It's just over the top. It's the, the, the same old complaints about Fox. Um, there's a way to do it, probably in an American style, but it doesn't have to be so obnoxious. 
But anyway, that, that's my rant over Kotick. So what else, what else did you watch uh, this past uh, week? The Premier League download of The Noisy Neighbors, uh, which uh, was about Manchester City's title-winning season in 2011-2012. It aired on the fifth anniversary of that epic match against QPR. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that the documentary interviewed all three uh, of the match commentators that called um, for Sky, Martin Tyler, ESPN in the United States was Ian Dark, and um, Peter Drury for the international feed, who I think got the most prominent uh, billing throughout this documentary. What I found also fascinating is none of the co-commentators were interviewed. Uh, Steve McManaman, we had on the call here in the United States on ESPN with Ian Dark. Uh, uh, Craig Burley, who I, I love, and I think most a lot of the listeners of this show really respect his opinions. Uh, he was the co-commentator with Peter Drury that day on the international feed. They didn't talk to him, and I'm not sure who was paired with uh, with uh, Tyler. It might have been Gary Neville. And considering it was 2012 with Fox, it might have been Gary Neville. He was doing more co-commentary at the time mm-hmm. with Tyler. I, I, I can't recall who it was. But um, the documentary was very well done, I think. Uh, and they talked a lot to John Champion, actually, who, of course, was calling the game on the international feed of Man United Sunderland <laughs> at the Stadium of Light. And uh, we got that broadcast in the United States because uh, I don't know if all of our listeners remember that day. That was when the Premier League rights were split in this country. So ESPN had the Manchester City game. Fox had the Man United game. They put that game on FX, which was a good move, by the way. That was a, a, a channel with much greater distribution than they didn't have FS1 and FS2 in those days, uh, for those who don't recall. So FX was in something like 90 million homes at the time. So it was a good move. So that John Champion call was actually heard in the United States on FX. And um, that, those last few minutes of that game were, of the Van City game were epic. And what I thought was particularly good about the documentary is there were certain fan images we all remember from that day. Um, the lady who just looks exacerbated, the young lady in the in the crowd, mm-hmm. the the guy who was uh, who pulled his shirt off and started punching it on 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 the chair back. They interviewed all those people. Wow! In this documentary, so it was really well done. They went and found those fans, interviewed them, and uh, also uh, talked to Guy Mowbray, talked to Gary Lineker, uh, BBC Match of the Day, who were of course. Uh, covering that, uh, those two matches uh, on site. Well, actually, I guess Lindercourt was probably in the studio, but Guy Mowbray, Guy Mowbray may have been, yeah, I think Guy Mowbray might have been doing the Man City game for match of the day. So it was really, really well done. Uh, fantastic documentary. Uh, took us back to that day and just the unbelievable events. Uh, so watch that. Uh, the next day, West Ham, Liverpool, biggest game of the season for Jurgen Klopp. He wins it which was a big deal. I know uh, Wenger now wants to go in the media and say West Ham has quit on the season or all these teams aren't playing hard, uh, which is interesting because Stoke didn't put up much of a fight against Arsenal at the weekend, but it seems like Wenger didn't want to address that fact, Um, especially given the fact that Stoke prior to that game hadn't lost to Arsenal in seven years at home. But um, there's been a knock on Jurgen Klopp that he can't win big games, right? We've been hearing that more and more. Right. Even though this was West Ham, who might have been on summer holiday, according to Arsene Wenger, Liverpool went out and won. And I think that that is a really good sign that Klopp still has that dressing room and that that team can still punch a little bit above their weight. Because I know I've gotten ripped to no end on Twitter for saying this. 
Liverpool finishing in the top four in this league, I think, is a massive accomplishment. If you look at their squad and you compare their squad to Manchester United, Manchester City, and Arsenal, three yep. teams that they might finish ahead of all three. Uh, if they don't finish ahead of Manchester City, they're going to finish right behind them. But they don't have anywhere near the squad Pep Guardiola has, and they don't have... I don't know how many Liverpool players, with the exception of Mane, who's been hurt most of the season, or much of the season, and uh, Coutinho would get into the United or Arsenal team. So, uh, yeah, and, job well done to them. Yeah, and, and Steve Bauer was on too. I think it was like either Monday or Tuesday. It's, it's all blending together, so many games. But uh, where he, he provided his analysis to you on Liverpool, and he was kind of saying uh, similar things to Kartik in terms of just the lack of depth in, on this team, where he went to one of the matches a couple of months ago, and there were five teenagers on the bench. Yeah, Liverpool. I, I saw that interview also. Yeah, yeah so 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 definitely um, a great way also to kind of tap into so Steve Bauer's So the thing we, we, we know about um, now, because Bauer, uh, Rebecca Lowe, when they signed off on that interview, made it pretty clear he won't be part of uh, Championship Sunday. He's got BBC responsibilities, is that we will only have uh, one crew, I assume that means. And you'll obviously... Uh, report this later in the week on World Soccer Talk, but I'm assuming that means we only have one live uh, NBC crew, and then the rest of the games will be the uh, whatever feed they pick up. Right. Uh, I was actually hoping that Bauer maybe they would split. Bauer would go with Lasso somewhere, and and Dixon would stick with White or, or vice versa, uh, and that they would be able to cover two games. But it looks like they'll only have uh, their high their highest profile game, which it appears. And I have to admit, uh, now I, I know I'm jumping ahead. Maybe we'll wait. We'll talk more about this later, but um, is Arsenal-Everton that's going to be on NBC? I actually thought they would show Liverpool borrow. I had predicted that uh, on Sunday uh, on a phone conversation with a friend that that would be the game they put on NBC. But uh, they've actually reversed it uh, but, on what I thought. Yeah, but I, I think in many ways, though, too. So, so the Borough won, you mean, if, if Liverpool has been playing like the way that they've been playing and Borough likewise, uh, actually, Borough's been playing a little bit better, but that should be a comfortable win. The Arsenal one has the whole added dynamic of, you mean, seeing the fans, their, their frustrations, even if Arsenal are winning, uh, it's still not going to be enough if Liverpool are winning at Borough. And then just in terms of the Arsene Wenger out crowd, there's a lot more complexity or, or kind of drama, really, uh, off the pitch as well as on the pitch that, that could make that a really heated atmosphere. So so that's why I think it's going to be less for football reasons, but more for the drama um, is why NBC is going with the Arsenal-Everton. And, and I'm sure Arlo White, Lee Dixon and Graeme Lasso, uh, all three probably will be there for that uh, broadcast. Okay, Kartik, so what about Sunday? What about that uh, Spurs-Man United match? Yeah, and then I thought NBC did a really good job, Spurs-Man United, uh, covering the last game at White Hart Lane and the sign-off ceremony, which uh, was delayed showed that how they could be dynamic, and, and they preempted part of their second airing of Noisy Neighbors uh, because, uh, of course, there was a pitch invasion at the end of the match, which wasn't supposed to happen. And that delayed the actual uh, goodbye White Hart Lane ceremony by about a half hour, I think, in its duration. So they did an outstanding job with that, and that uh, segued nicely into the ESPN FC discussion, which for whatever reason ESPN um, – has Casey Keller in the ESPN FC studio this week, and he was very sentimental and and almost teary-eyed about uh, the the end of White Hart Lane. Of course, he uh, for for our listeners, 
goalkeeper for Spurs in the early 2000s, a long time ago now. Um, Casey Keller was a, very, was a great goalkeeper, but also kind of a journeyman, bounced around. Uh, and in England alone, he played for Millwall, Leicester, and Spurs. And I actually remember him um, with Leicester making a goalkeeper howler that won Spurs the League Cup in the League Cup final at Wembley. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been the last one at Wembley before uh, the reconstruction. Yeah, Kartik, I was blown away by the coverage of this uh, Spurs-Man United match, uh, post-match. Uh, I wasn't expecting all of that. I, I know that with West Ham United, once they left uh, the bowling ground, they had the big, huge post-match uh, celebrations. And uh, most of it was on NBC Sports Live Extra at that time. Um, but this one I, I didn't expect. I'm, I'm not sure why. I just uh, hadn't didn't have it in the back of my mind that, to, actually, to actually expect this. But it was Mother's Day. So I had um, my wife here. I was cooking lunch for her. I had um, and, and then the parents and uh, in-laws. So I had a huge party going on at the same time. So I had the TV on in the background. I couldn't hear anything. And I was kind of cooking and serving and doing, uh, running around like crazy. But just a pure spectacle in terms of um, just watching it, all the flag waving, all the, um, the former players com- coming onto the field. Ray Clements, one of my favorites uh, in terms of goalkeepers. Uh, it was just a, an incredible spectacle to watch. And uh, even the, p- the pitch invasion, yeah, it wasn't planned, but um, it was just great, great television. I, I, was, I was hooked, uh, well, hooked as, be- as mo- best as I could with everything going on, but, but I really enjoyed it. The, the, the one thing that I, was, I thought was really good, and, and a, another example of how good uh, Carl Martino is, is I did catch um, halftime, and I had the game on in the background, but halftime, it was Carl Martino's just really um, incisive um, criticism of Man United in terms of just how flat they were and just that he, he wasn't expecting this type of performance from Man United in, in a match like this. And uh, again, I think just his analysis is so spot on. I mean, it's, it's, it is crystal clear. It is a Taylor Twellman um, at, at his best at times. And I really enjoyed that. And then Kartik, uh, anything else you watched this weekend of note or this past week? Yeah, um, I watched the um, Go90 broadcast of the Orlando-North Carolina game, uh, NWSL game, and the first 30 or 35 minutes I couldn't see. Now, it turned out the second half of this game was outstanding and was missing the first 30 or 35 minutes of the game was um, uh, didn't didn't matter as much. Uh, I had actually intended to go to the match. Uh, it, it was an Orlando home game. Was not able to go. Uh, but Marta really kind of broke out in this match for the first time since she signed with the Orlando Pride and North Carolina. The North Carolina Courage had been unbeaten and had really they had run roughshod in their first three matches, including their last meeting with Orlando, uh, where Ashlyn Harris made ten saves and yet still conceded three goals. That tells you how dominant North Carolina was in that game. Um, this game, it was the first time they had really been um, caught out. Now, they, they won their fourth game of the season against Boston 1-0, but that was a game where they began to show some cracks uh, going forward. And um, and then this game was, uh, was, uh, was an Orlando victory. But again, to the broadcast, it did near for the first 30 or 35 minutes, which was a big, uh, a big miss on, on the Go90 app. And once again... The level of announcers and the camera work isn't where it needs to be. We're five weeks into the NWSL season now. Uh, 
uh, I'm going to continue to monitor this as time goes on because I uh, want to see the league be successful, want to grow the league, want to grow the footprint for the league and get more and more soccer fans watching these broadcasts, but they're not going to uh, unless that quality improves. Um, and interestingly enough, the um, non-allocated NWSL players who were non-U.S. Uh, or Canadian women's national team players have uh, have decided to organize this week, and there'll be more on that in the near future. And that's based, I think, partly, I'm going to throw this out here now, on the fact that NWSL appears, and we say appears because we don't know for sure, they've said, they've implied, that they're actually generating television revenue. So I think... Um, there's a feeling among a lot of the, the, the players in NWSL who are rank and file players, maybe uh, benefits and player salaries need to go up if they're in fact generating television revenue. I'm not convinced they're generating television revenue, but the implication has been there from the league, maybe to try and drive expansion and sponsorship. So based on that, um, I think it's a situation worth monitoring because I think it's very, very, it's a situation worth monitoring anyway uh, when you get into issues of organizing and potential unionization and collective bargaining uh, in within the closed league structure of United States uh, soccer because it's very different than the rest of the world. These players are not, they, they're not free agents. They don't have the, the kind of the freedom of movement that players do uh, in the European Union. And secondly, if it's tied to potential revenue from television, that's um, news to me. And it's been news to me when I've heard these, these in interviews and implications the last few weeks that NWSL is actually generating television revenue. Um, so that was Sunday. Um, watch Casey Keller, as I mentioned on ESPN FC, uh, was a good, good, um, idea to have him in this week with uh, white heart lane, uh, being shuttered or being knocked down for, <laughs> to make way for the end of the new stadium. Um, Reading Fulham, was a exciting, entertaining end to end second leg of a championship playoff. What you would expect yep. uh, in the football league. Really good match. We can. We're recording this before Huddersfield plays Sheffield Wednesday. I'll miss part of that game because I've got to go to Stewart to call an NPSL game for uh, the web web stream there. But. Um, so I've got about an hour and a half drive north. So I will miss the end of uh, Huddersfield and Sheffield Wednesday, but we can only hope it's as good. That Yorkshire Derby, and then they, the winner will face Reading at Wembley. Um, Wembley Stadium is pretty close to Reading. Uh, you know this, uh, Chris, as a Swansea fan. When uh, It seems ages and ages ago when Swansea were promoted, but when you were promoted, I guess now seven or eight seasons ago, you faced Reading in that playoff final, and... Um, I, I think uh, it was a, a situation where Wembley is so close to Reading, although Swansea's, of course, on the south coast also, south coast of Wales, that it's it's close enough, but that they uh, they have a bit of an advantage at Wembley. Watford, Reading, those clubs that are perennially yo-yo uh, clubs that are that are nearby to Wembley, when they play the playoff final there, they have an advantage, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they, they definitely have an advantage. And also, I think in terms of the fan base to having gone to uh, a playoff final before and, and, and having lost to Swansea, you know what I mean? So maybe, I mean, I'm sure they'll be passionate, but they'll also kind of be thinking, going into this, thinking, okay, well, we've been here before, we lost. So, you know what I mean? Maybe that, uh, I don't know, maybe they won't be as loud or as a crazy as they normally are. But, um, but yeah, it's a great opportunity for Reading. Uh, I watched the match too. Um, it was a bit surreal listening to it in Spanish because it was on uh, being sports in Espanol. Uh, on the English side at the same time, on the English side of the being sports, they had uh, Women's Tennis Association and I think they had motocross or biking or, or something. 
and 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 that's and that's a big. I mean, we we've been covering this for this this whole season on the podcast. But I mean, more and more, the BN Sports, the English Channel, is trying to become more than soccer. Trying to show a lot of other sports, uh, whether it's uh, college football, even motocross. Uh, I think even basketball at times. Uh, while the BN Sports and Espanol, that that really is the soccer channel. And then uh, BN Sports Connect. If you get that, that's that's the uh, ultimate because you get everything no matter what. But um, I mean, to me, I'm I'm just thankful that we have the championship playoff uh, yeah, finals on I television, or at least have access to it. Right. So, so Kartik, a um, couple of things that jumped out at me this this past weekend. Um, actually, this past week, really. I'll go back to Thursday, which was the Europa League. It seems again so long ago. Uh, watched the Man United uh, Celta, and at the same time, I had uh, Leon against uh, Ajax on. Um, both of those were the second legs. This time, I watched it on Fox Sports Go, and they have the split screen, so uh, you can have the game side by side, and then you can just just kind of. Uh, toggle or click on your mouse to choose which which commentary you want to hear at any given moment so uh, to me that was the best way to enjoy both games and uh, again incredible endings in both of these matches with uh, there were late goals there was fights on the pitch at Old Trafford with the players Uh, Antonio Valencia should have got sent off and there was other drama going on uh, Ajax, once again, even though they lost this match, are just an incredibly entertaining team to watch. Um, and they're my favorite to, to go all the way to win it and shock Man United in the final. Uh, of course, it's going to be a tough team to beat uh, with uh, under um, United. But Alexi Lalas, I don't know, to me, Kartik, and actually I've heard this from a couple of other people too, just when he does Europa League broadcasts, in his commentary is just so dull, so blah, so monotone. It's as if he doesn't want to do the games. It's as if someone's pulling his teeth just to try to get him to commentate these matches. Uh, it doesn't help that Man United hasn't been that attacking-minded and that thrilling to watch. But uh, it just seems that uh, it just seems that Lalas uh, is not into it. And, and, and really, when you think about it, Lalas is not a commentator. I mean, to me, uh, he is an analyst. And yes, he does MLS games. And yes, he gets more excited for those. You can hear it in his voice. But for Europa League, uh, Lalas is just just plain Jane, dull and boring. And then Kartik, a uh, couple of other games. So I watched the, the West Brom against Chelsea match on the Friday. This is the one that uh, had uh, Chelsea uh, clinching the, the Premier League uh, trophy. And um, this is a good example in this match in terms of the broadcast of how NBC does such a great job of sticking with the broadcast after the final whistle. Uh, and in this case, in showing the players and the coach uh, celebrating, uh, they stayed with uh, broadcasting the post-match interviews and analysis for this match for 45 minutes after the game ended. Uh, yes, I think there were a couple of uh, commenta- um, commercial breaks in between, but for the most part, those 45 minutes was just pure uh, everything at the Hawthorns in terms of just analyzing what had happened and getting the, the insight. Uh, and that's something you don't see from other broadcasters. And then Saturday, Kartik, um, this was incredibly too easy. I mean, this is a, uh, this season I've been so depressed in terms of at least Swansea's performances. Uh, it's been a roller coaster ride, ups and downs along the way. And, and by January, I thought for sure that they were going down just the, in the predicament that they had. But this match was a, a must-win match for Swansea against Sunderland. It was on NBCSN um, on the Saturday morning. And it was too easy. I mean, it was one of those ones I was expecting my, to be like a, a nail-biter. And, but um, 
the first half I watched it on NBC Sports app, the actual app on my mobile phone. I was at my daughter's, um, my my 10-year-old's daughter's uh, AYSO final game of the season. So I was watching the match and had the um, the app at the same time showing the Swansea game. But uh, And then I got home for the second half and watched the rest of it there. But just way too easy. Sunderland were poor. And at no time in this match did I feel uh, threatened that, that Swansea would would lose this one at all. And, and they won it. And then they put the pressure, of course, on Palace um, to beat Hull on Sunday. And then even, even that performance, too, I was kind of a little bit nervous thinking, OK, well, maybe Hull will pull, pull off a, a shock win. But that was such a walk in the park, too, for Palace. Um, and thinking back in terms of the last several weeks and the last several months in terms of the turning point, the turning point to me was when uh, Sunderland beat Hull. And, and I, I don't think anyone expected that just a couple of weeks ago, that 2-0 victory uh, at Hull. And at that moment, the, the, the tides changed. At that point, Swansea were in control of their destiny uh, and Hull were not. And from that game onwards, Hull is just, is just you mean. Uh, climbed down and down and down, getting worse and worse, while Swansea had a huge lift from that that uh, defeat, uh, the whole defeat. And then from then on has been just uh, not the greatest performers, but but getting the goals and playing smart soccer. So just a huge relief to see uh, Swansea stay up uh, personally. And I think uh, hopefully next season things will get better and, and hopefully they'll play the Swansea way and, and start entertaining uh, the, the, the neutrals out there too. And then, Kartik, uh, just a couple other things, too. Um, Stoke against Arsenal. This was the one that was on, I think, Sunday, right? Um, actually, no, no, it was a Saturday. It was the, bro- the, the mid, uh, midday broadcast. This one was interesting in that uh, during the match, there was a controversial goal that Stoke scored, scored from Peter Crouch. And when I saw it at first, I thought, OK, there's a, good, there's a clean goal, nothing wrong with it. But during the match broadcast, during the commentary, John Champion was able to find out from the Premier League referees in their match day centre. So I guess one of the producers uh, was able to kind of contact them behind the scenes and then relay the information in the middle of the match to John Champion. And it said that the Premier League referees uh, sh- uh, would have awarded, would have, would have disallowed that goal because there was a handball. And then we saw some like kind of uh, close-up uh, replays of the incident. And you can see kind of Peter Crouch uh, did use his hand for that one. So some good work by John Champion and uh, the producers on the international feed to give us that intelligence in terms of, okay, yes, actually, that should not have counted. Uh, I also watched uh, North, Carolina, Carolina, North Carolina Courage against Jacksonville from the NESL on, uh, on Saturday. And Kartik, I think this is the first time I've actually watched a, a game of a, an NASL game this season, but also the first time I'd seen a match from Wake Med Park. And uh, that stadium looked great, looks great on television uh, and a good look for NASL. I didn't watch the whole match, but I did watch a little bit of it. And um, of course, we had the Chelsea Watford game on the Monday with the Guard of Honor. Um, that one was. Uh, that game was, it felt like a testimonial or a friendly. I mean, actually, most of the matches in the Premier League this week have felt that way. But, uh, but still, it was an entertaining game, lots of goals, uh, and a very open match. And uh, Arsenal-Sunderland, um, not much to say there. Man City against West Brom. So it looks like going, going into this final day uh, of the Premier League season that uh, everything's set up. You would think, uh, Kartik, for Man City to beat West Brom and then Arsenal to beat Sunderland... And, um, 
and for Liverpool to beat Middlesbrough and uh, that would mean that Arsenal would be not in the Champions League next season but with the Premier League anything can happen yeah the question about the John Champion thing is that our Premier League reps and the Premier League Referees Association are going to be more willing to uh, speak and aid broadcasters in the future on those sorts of matters because I found that fascinating. I thought that was one of really the most fascinating things we've we've heard this season in a broadcast. Yeah, I wonder too because NBC to me at least, seems to be kind of one of the first to be doing this. They, they did this last last season. Actually, this season they've done it a few times where they've called into the Premier League uh, head of referees uh, or the PGMOL to get their input on when it's when it's a really critical decision or strange Right, call. but that was, uh, that's been post-match, I mean, or at halftime. This was right. in the course of the match yeah. broadcast, which I found completely fascinating, and I think it's great, personally, and great work by John Champion. He always does great work, but this is especially uh, kind of uh, groundbreaking, but it was very surprising, and I'm wondering if it's a one-off or we're going we're gonna to hear more and more of this. Yeah, hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it's not a one-off, and I would think we would hear more and more of this. I guess the, the tough thing, though, too, is like, you know I mean, that information could be used against, against um, the referees in terms of if they did make a mistake, and the head of the referees or the you mean the match day center says, yeah, that was a, a poor decision or the referee missed it. And then what if Stoke had gone on to win that game? You mean one nothing um, and Arsenal hadn't scored those what, four goals or, or so. Um, then it becomes a point of contention in terms of, you mean, the referee made a mistake. The referees agreed that he made a mistake. It wasn't really his mistake. It was really difficult to see. But still, he, may, he would have made a mistake. Um, but I don't know. I guess... Hopefully it's moving towards at least a little bit video assistant referees. But again, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. But uh, but yeah, it's a good point, Kartik, in terms of uh, whether we'll see more of that happening. I, I would think we would. All right, Kartik. So let me see if there's anything else that jumped out at us. I don't think that I don't think so. So let me, let me move on then to the next segment. Um, but before we do, I want to mention our sponsor, SeatGeek. And buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live, uh, live events. With its seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Uh, I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. So, so this week I've been looking at, uh, I think it's July 22nd, uh, Swansea's playing uh, North Carolina Courage um, and in, uh, in Cary, uh, North Carolina. So I'm looking at uh, getting tickets to that one. And, and the whole app ex- experience is really simple and easy to use. Uh, it's designed to make t- your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites. And this is something I really uh, enjoy. It is able to compare prices and find the amazing deals. Not only that, though, it also grades every ticket based on value to help you uh, immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app. And enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. And uh, 
what news do you have uh, this week? Yeah, a lot of interesting things uh, percolating this week. First off, uh, that Fox is going to broadcast the final league of the Bundesliga season across multiple platforms, uh, Fox over the air, except for probably those of you in South Florida and in Cleveland again. Uh, That was the case this past week with the uh, Leipzig Bayern match. Um, Fox, FS1, FS2, and Fox Soccer Plus, another airing of multi-match 90, uh, which is as we said, was excellent and outstanding. Ross Dyer does such a good job, and there was great action, with the exception of that American alert. Uh, so we're going to have that once again uh, this weekend uh, on, on Fox, and there's a lot on the line again. Relegation is still on the line. Ingolstadt has been relegated relegated at the last minute. forgot to mention that in the multi-match uh, 90 uh, discussion earlier when uh, Hamburg equalized uh, against Schalke and then Schalke had a goal at the death disallowed, uh, rightly disallowed, but still it had appeared that it had been uh, given and Ingolstadt players were on the pitch uh, at their match, which uh, Ingolstadt had actually really has played much better the last several weeks and almost got out of trouble, but uh, they have been relegated. So there's still a fight between Hamburg, Mainz, uh, and a couple of other clubs, Augsburg, down at the bottom, uh, the fight for Europa League, and then we've talked about third and fourth, uh, by, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, excuse me, uh, Borussia Dortmund versus Hoffenheim, and how um, critical it would be for Hoffenheim to uh, to somehow uh, make their way into third place and avoid that uh, play-in uh, in the Champions League. And I should mention Hoffenheim was up 5-0 on Werder Bremen, and it looked like they might be able to reverse the goal difference difference because they're equal on points. They're all on points with Borussia Dortmund. And then Bremen got three goals back. So that was the kind of day it was in the Bundesliga. Wow. So big, big day. Big day on, uh, on uh, Saturday as the Bundesliga uh, season uh, finishes. Yeah, a little bit, bit, bit of criticism, too, from uh, a lot of our readers and listeners in terms of uh, the choice, the selection of the games. So the Bayern Munich game is on Big Fox. Um, a lot of people thinking that uh, the Hamburg game, the relegation battle uh, decider, really, uh, should be on Big Fox, but it's on FS1 instead. Um, the other thing, too, is that the Bundesliga uh, relegation playoff and uh, the Bundesliga two matches um, in terms of kind of the promotion race there, uh, those, as far as I know, will be on Fox Soccer to go. So we'll have all the schedules on uh, worldsoccertalk.com uh, for every single match. But uh, the, great, the good news is we should be able to watch uh, all these matches uh, with your whether streaming provider or on television. Now, the next piece of news is uh, this week uh, Univision was in New York City to present to advertisers and media buyers, uh, pres- and they presented and, and officially announced uh, the acquisition of the UEFA Champions League and Europa League coverage, uh, Spanish language. So we, we already knew this. We broke the story a couple of months ago now that, that Turner had acquired the English rights and uh, Univision had acquired the Spanish rights. That, that Those starts in August of 2018. Uh, Univision didn't release a ton of information, but they did say that some of the uh, Champions League matches would be on Univision over the air, the network uh, station. Um, and then uh, the midweek matches would be between Unamas and uh, Univision Deportes, and, uh, and I'm sure uh, Univision Deportes' uh, mobile app too. Also, they mentioned uh, UEFA Nations League, which starts in the fall of 2018, and that's to replace the international friendlies. They're going to make those, uh, turn those into a competition. 
almost like international champions cup kind of taking that concept and making that uh, friendly matches more competitive uh, so univision has the spanish language rights to those two so some some good news uh and it should uh, it's it's another option out there too in terms of uh more soccer coverage so speaking of uh more soccer coverage uh Kartik, the next news item yeah, much like uh, what ESPN did with their soccer shorts in their 30 for 30 series, uh, which, by the way, I'm disappointed in. You still can't get most of those on iTunes or on Netflix or on Amazon Prime, uh, those soccer shorts uh, from 2014. Similarly, um, and I particularly want to see the one on Northern Ireland again, um, but uh, similarly, uh, Fox FS1 is going to be planning soccer documentaries uh, leading into the 2018 World Cup, which is a really good, new, really good bit of news. Interesting that Fox is going to go with a newsy kind of documentary division angle, which is not something Fox has ever done before. Uh, that is a positive sign as we beat up on Fox all the time, it seems, right? But that is a positive sign going into the 2018 World Cup that they are taking the depth and gravity of this uh, uh, of, of this competition seriously. And hopefully it won't just be documentaries about the U.S. and Mexico. Hopefully there'll be documentaries about um, uh, other countries, about the host nation, Russia, about maybe football in Eastern Europe. Get a guy like Jonathan Wilson, who's written for Fox uh, soccer site in the past on to talk about those. Uh, ESPN did a fantastic job with that series in 2014, but again, uh, they have not made most of those available the way they have. You can you can watch your, their full-length 30 for 30s. You can watch um, pretty consistently uh, very easily on Netflix and um, buy them on, uh, on iTunes or in the Google Play Store, but uh, they have not made most of those soccer uh, documentaries available, which is unfortunate. So, uh, But that's something to look forward to in 2018 from Fox. So, so one of the uh, documentaries is going to be on uh, Chapaconese, the uh, the, t- the team yes. that uh, was in that plane crash. So that's going to be, yeah, it, it should be definitely something to look forward to in terms of uh, the documentaries and uh, what to wait and see. So uh, I'm sure they'll be coming out next year. Uh, in other news, Telemundo and Universo have been added to YouTube TV. So we've talked about YouTube TV recently. Uh, it's not available in all cities, but uh, it's slowly rolling out. Um, so that's good news for uh, fans of Spanish soccer, as well as the World Cup, with uh, Telemundo having the rights to that, as well as Confederations Cup. Um, but still on YouTube TV, no being sports yet, and that's the big uh, holdback there. Any other news, Kartik? Yeah, uh, we were waiting with bated breath at the end of the broadcast yesterday. Uh, I was mostly focused on that championship playoff game that we mentioned earlier, but uh, waiting on the with bated breath at the end of NBC's broadcast uh, for the schedule for Championship Sunday. And surprisingly, as I mentioned earlier, to me, Arsenal Everton is the NBC game, and I and I presume where Arlo White and crew will be. Uh, th- I guess maybe it's because of who Arsenal's playing. It's it, there's a certain attractiveness to that uh, that you don't have with Liverpool playing Borough and uh, Man City playing Watford and uh, and whatever other matchups you have. So uh, that's NBC. Liverpool Middlesbrough is on NBCSN. Watford Man City is on USA. Those are the three primary games. Those are on their three pri- primary networks. Uh, CNBC will have Man United and Crystal Palace, uh, which is uh, uh, again another ode to Manchester United that they're put on a on a big carrier like CNBC because that game has absolutely no no. Uh, relevance the champions chelsea bumped down to sci-fi which by the way is in about uh 85 or uh a million homes or so so it's uh, these channels all have pretty uh 
pr- pretty uh, similar distributions, but uh, you're not necessarily looking for a soccer game on sci-fi. Uh, for those of you wanting to see Spurs, uh, they are on... Jeez, uh, I pulled this up. I believe Spurs are on MSNBC against Hull. I'm not yeah, positive right. about that. Yes, yeah, yeah right. Um, I should have pulled up the, the listing. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you, you can find all the listings on World Soccer Talk for all 10 games if uh, if you're interested in seeing uh, uh, where Southampton might be playing Stoke. You can check it out on World Soccer Talk. Yeah, it's a bit of a dead rubber, though, these matches, though, Kartik. And, it, yeah. and I, I know from NBC Sports, I guess I spoke, uh, spoke to one of their uh, PR people a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, yeah, I'm really excited about Championship Sunday. And to, to me, I mean, yes, the Championship Sunday with Man City winning uh, the Premier League title on that final day of the season, you mean the final kick of the season, that is something special. Um, but oftentimes, in the last three years, there's been very little to play for. The relegation battles are usually been sewn up by this point. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a big marketing push. And it's, it's great to see maybe hoping that more people will access these games and come across them and, and watch them and get into uh, soccer. But, uh, but for the most part, it's, um, I mean, we, we should be doing this at New Year's Day or uh, Boxing Day. Boxing Day. Right, making a big deal at that point. That at that point, when everything does matter, uh, at this point, um, same same thing with the Bundesliga to a lesser extent. I mean, at least there's that relegation battle with Hamburg on uh, on Saturday. But um, I mean, the, the title's been sewn up for a few weeks. Um, yeah, it just seems to be kind of more of a marketing thing than than a something to do just because there's some big games on. Because there are there there is more on the line in the Bundesliga. Although I guess. Um, I had been kind of mocking the whole Championship Sunday thing, thinking that uh, that there would be no battle for, for fourth anymore. It would be a battle between third and fourth, and that Arsenal would drop points uh, either to Stoke or to Sunderland. Uh, I, I was pretty sure of that, and it didn't happen. So there is still something to play for on Championship Sunday. Uh, people who follow my Twitter feed might have seen a week ago, I was just mocking the whole concept because I, I had expected Arsenal, or at Southampton, right? I expected Arsenal to drop points in one of those games mm-hmm. and it to be done at that point. But uh, they've taken nine from nine of these, these three games in the last week. So uh, there is still something to play for, although it would require Liverpool to lose to Barrow at Anfield. Yep. Uh, but still, I guess they have an opportunity to kind of put a bow on the season, yep. wrap up the season with the, the, the two and a half hour goal zone. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, I, I, I don't, I beat up on the premier league a lot. And I, and I think this season has been an exceptionally poor season, but you've got a team sitting in eighth that is on 45 points in the league. Uh, that would barely be clearing relegation in many of the seasons in the past. So um, it has been a poor season in the league and we really haven't had a title race. And uh, it's been, I think, characterized by a lot of mediocrity and uh, and uh, really not much of a difference between the teams teams sitting eight and ninth in the table and your team in Swansea City had Swansea City not gotten uh, some bad calls Guidelin's last game against Manchester City and then that game against Man United they they might be sitting eight yeah. believe it or not yeah. that's how bad the league's been this year so um, well, plus, uh, I guess oh, they have to put on that on that NBC and hope next season's better yeah plus also a bad season for English teams in Europe too I mean it just yeah right right I mean, well that that goes along with it not being a very good league right but that's the thing though too I mean a Europa League up until maybe a couple of years ago for the most part for most people was kind of a joke to me i've always loved watching the europa league it's been more competitive you get to see a whole bunch of players that normally wouldn't play first team soccer so you see more depth uh and it's been more open-ended more surprises more shocks so now all of a sudden the europa league is uh 
is a big deal because I mean you got clubs like Man United in it and even Ajax some some big teams. Right, and it's funny the the the, the chatter among Premier League people is starting again, and I mean obviously uh, we're we're a week away from the final, but oh well, you know the Premier League team is in the in the final; they're going to win, and I, I I'm not sure about that. So um, I, I think it's a good time, maybe in that two and a half hour special for NBC, because they're they're brutally honest, even though it's the only uh, property soccer property they have uh, that this is. I think I could see a guy like Musto saying this has not been a good season for the Premier League. Look at how the Premier League teams are struggling in Europe. How is it that Southampton, uh, who's finished in the top eight each of the last three seasons, is demonstrably worse this season, having been raided by several other good teams? Quad Puel has done a great job keeping that club together. How are they sitting in eighth right now on 45 points when they're that much worse than they were these last few seasons, but they're sitting basically in the same position in the table? Um Maybe it's a good time for introspection and, and for NBC's sake and, and the sake of those of us that love English football. Let's hope next season's better. Let's hope English teams do better in Europe next season. Right, definitely, definitely. And yeah, which just go, goes along in terms of the, this show in many ways too is because we're kind of exploring world soccer, all the different great teams and di- different great leagues from around the world that we have access to. And we're seeing a lot of more world soccer than we've ever done before, probably in terms right. of uh, Maybe we were guilty of this, Chris, in the past where sure. we were in a vacuum and I would be watching the Premier League almost exclusively and then uh, a Premier League team would step into Europe and get humbled and be like, well, where did that come from? Well, now we know where it comes from. The league, if you just kind of have a more global perspective, you see it's not um, – it's in, in a bit of a dip. And look, these things go in cycles. Yeah. So – I would expect the Premier League to, to, to strike back if Brexit doesn't do a number on the league, which it very well could. But if it doesn't, um, but I think this season has not been a, a shining uh, example of, of what the league has been about. And it's unfortunate for NBC because they just spent uh, well over a billion dollars to re-up with this league. And this is the worst season um, that I can remember in my following of English football for over two decades. I mean, this is the worst worst top flight season. I, I don't know that it's been bad. I think I think the championship has been pretty good this year, actually. But um, it's been the worst top flight season I can remember in England. And, and, and uh, people then get criticized me when I say that. But then you look at results in Europe, and it, and it seems to back up what I'm saying. And my, my analysis is based on watching Premier League teams against Premier League teams, not necessarily based on uh, when they step out and play in Europe. But then in Europe, they've struggled, and, um, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And we... We've had uh, uh, teams fall in, in group stages of, of competitions and fall in uh, uh, any time they, once they face real competition in the knockout stage. So um, I guess to a certain extent, in this environment where there's a lot of mediocrity, perhaps Jose Mourinho's comments about winning trophies is accurate because uh, he might collect three trophies this season. Yeah, it's hard to believe, just in given how poor they've been at times. I mean, they've yes, they have. How bad they've been in the league in reality, right? In all the draws, exactly. So, so yeah. let's move on to TV ratings because a lot of this discussion uh, falls right into that. So, uh, the big one. So, so in many ways, uh, it's been a poor season. The Premier League, uh, the TV ratings have had an impact in terms of lower numbers, and we had an episode a couple of months ago about how uh, or why Premier League TV ratings are plateauing in the U.S. Um, while other, other leagues are also dropping too. So the big number this weekend for uh, the Spurs against Man United match, that was the biggest uh, Premier League match. Uh, that one had 568,000 viewers. And this was on Sunday on NBCSN from 11.30 Eastern to 1.30 uh, Eastern. Disappointing, Kartik. I, I mean, it's Mother's Day, yes. Yeah. 
But for a big match like that, especially in the send-off match for Spurs at White Hart Lane, a game for Man United that's, you know, I mean, that uh, you mean they, they didn't have a lot to play for. I mean, they've settled on the Europa League as their entryway into the Champions League. It could come back to haunt them, but uh, but still a disappointing number, even though it's uh, one of the biggest ones, actually the, the biggest uh, Premier League match uh, from this past weekend. Yeah, um, I, um, I'm i just disappointed. I think it was a horrible week for ratings uh, across the board, and there's a lack of relevance in a lot of these Premier League games, uh, mostly dead rubbers. It's it's basically been dead rubber week. Uh, again, uh, the Arsenal, Arsenal winning the three games on the trot this past week has, has made some uh, relevance in, in some of the remaining matchups, but this was a sentimental match, right? Spurs are locked into finishing second. They wanted to send off Whitehart Lane in style. Man United are... Uh, are uh, very, by their own admission, not interested in the Premier League. And then uh, the the 425 for Stoke Arsenal was disappointing in that 1230 spot. Now, granted, we are used to seeing those games on NBC over the air and seeing a spike. Maybe uh, that number isn't as bad within the context of it being um, on NBCSN. But um, again, I'm, you would think with Arsenal playing, there'd be a higher rating with them chasing fourth. Uh, I think a lot of Arsenal fans have, have checked out uh, 340,000 or so on Fox over the air. Granted, there were some affiliates who didn't show the game uh, 10 a.m. or sorry, 9.30 a.m. Eastern uh, for Bayern Munich and, and Leipzig. Again, uh, disappointing. Um, and then you get get into uh, ratings like the the ratings for MLS games this weekend. One hundred eighty nine thousand for what was a very good game between Chicago and Seattle on Saturday night on ESPN two in a very odd time slot for MLS uh, on television. And this it's a shame if people didn't watch this game because this was a this was one of the best foots forward. Uh, feed forward MLS has shown, particularly in a big market like Chicago, where they had a great crowd um, on Saturday night. It's just a bad weekend all around. Um, one one nice little note was that there were 128,000 people who did watch uh, the first airing of the Noisy Neighbors documentary, which is on NBCSN at 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, which is a... Um, which is a good number for a documentary, I would suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, it was more viewers than the uh, the Dallas against New York City FC game on Sunday on FS1. So. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so hey, that that's a plus. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next uh, segment, and that's our listener mailbag. Uh, it's this one, first one's from Liam uh, Gandelsman, and he sent this in through email. He says, "Hi guys, uh, love the show. Really glad there are people talking about the state of soccer media." It's a unique and compelling perspective on the game. My question came about as I was trying to watch the Liga MX uh, Ligia uh, matches tonight. Uh, This is last week. Uh, They're on Azteca America, which isn't available on Fubo, my streaming service of choice. I was wondering if you guys could talk about the pros and cons of Fubo and the newly rearranged Sling TV. So, um, So in answer to that... Uh, yeah, Aztec America is one of those few channels that does show some Liga MX games. Those are available through Sling uh, Latino, um, so you you can get you can definitely add that on onto your Sling package. It's not available on Fubo, so you're missing out on that one. Um, Fubo does have a lot of other advantages. The the integration of Bein Sports Connect directly into Fubo now is is fantastic. You can see all the channels. It's actually more easier to access than it is um, through the BN Sports uh, Connect website. So that's a plus. Um, in terms of Liga MX, you've got all the the Univisions, the Univision Deportes, uh, Unamas, um, 
you've got all of, all of that. I guess there's a weakness on the Fubo side. You don't have the ESPNs of the world. But again, at the end of the day, it comes down to what you're wanting to watch. Uh, and we've put together a comparison guide. It's on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com. There's a link that says uh, click here to, to see, um, I think, soccer streaming uh, free trials. And there we have it broken down by, by each different streaming service, which leagues they show, which channels they show, uh, and also kind of uh, pros and cons of each one. So we're going into a lot more detail there. Now, uh, next one is from the Soccer Heretic, and he sent us in uh, via Twitter, and he says, I wanted to address the Napster Soccer uh, future episode with personal insight on it, if you don't mind. The points you make about illegal streams are valid, but didn't address the larger socio-economic issue which underlies it. Premium movie networks offer standalone internet availability, whereas sports networks remain tied to subscriber fees through distributors. I'm right on the line as it would be considered, uh, as I would be considered as a, a Gen X or a millennial. Uh, and I'm also the head of a household. Uh, the only reason we have cable, and it's a point of contention in my household, is to watch sports, mostly due to the cost from distributors. I can't imagine how younger people with less income feel about the matter in regards to their personal and household incomes. Being forced to pay $250 to $400 monthly for 500 to 600 channels when you only really care about access to fewer than 50 has become absurd, not only absurd, but untenable financially for the vast majority of younger demographics where soccer audiences uh, majority reside. Sports networks have been digging their own graves with regard to illegal streams for a decade now. It's not that people, especially with strained income considerations, aren't willing to pay 20 to $50 a month for access. It's that they simply cannot afford to pay $250 a month for access to sports and fund Oxygen, Sci-Fi, Fusion, MTV, Nick at Night, HGTV, etc., so, so he uh, he goes on in terms of going into more detail in, um, in his uh, tweet, but I, w- I will say actually, and that's it's a good good point he brings up, and that is that uh, it's a crazy some of these uh, cable and satellite fees, like two hundred fifty dollars to four hundred dollars a month. For me, actually, my my development uh, cable is included. But then I pay additional on top of that, additional for internet access and any other channels like the sports packages, etc. So I'm paying, I think, about $110 through Comcast a month, um, even with free cable in quotation marks. So I can understand that. I mean, and I've seen in terms of satellite, especially DirecTV, Dish Network, you mean $200 plus. What I would say to Soccer Heretic and, and other listeners out there, too, is that I mean, definitely take a look at the streaming packages. So Fubo is just as one example. Fubo has almost all of the sports networks, except for the ESPNs, but also has the entertainment packages on there too. So the channels that you named, Soccer Heretic, um, such as Oxygen, Sci-Fi, uh, those are already included in um, Fubo as well as FX. And there's a ton of entertainment channels they have in addition to the sports channels. Now, you could be looking at, say, Sling TV or PlayStation View or YouTube TV or others. I bet you there's one out there that is probably more closely aligned with what you're looking for, where you could be paying anywhere from, say, uh, probably $25 to $30 a month to $50 a month. And then on top of that, then pay for uh, internet service. So maybe... 
maybe $45 to $50 a month for that. So about $100 a month. But with that, you get everything that you're looking for, uh, including internet access and all the channels, um, and not pay $250 to $400 a month and not have to rely on illegal streams. So it's we're in a situation right now where there's a lot of change in the marketplace as far as... Um, I mean, like, like, like we mentioned before, YouTube TV, adding uh, Telemundo and adding uh, Universo, that's great news. But these things change on a weekly basis. So, And some channels, uh, some streaming channels, taking channels away. So it is in constant flux. I would definitely recommend, uh, which is why we're here really, uh, is to answer your questions. Uh, if you do have any specific questions, let us know. But we're trying to get the information out there to, to basically help save soccer fans money by whether it's cutting the cord or trying to figure out how do i access the, uh, I mean, the championship playoffs or whatever it is making it as easy as possible to give you the information that you need to make smart decisions so whether that's through cable satellites streaming cord cutting you name it um, we're here to help but uh, we definitely don't recommend the illegal streams for a whole host of different reasons including malware uh, viruses etc and uh Anything to add on that one, too, Kartik? Uh, no, I mean, I, I have a lot of sympathy with Soccer Heretic's position. But, mm. again, um, the illegal streams, um, they do create malware. They do create this situation, I think, where also um, it, 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 it makes it uh, it makes it difficult for the consumers because what's... Uh, um, what ends up happening is ESPN, uh, Fox, and NBC, you, and, and other distributors use that as excuses, right? Uh, and and use that as as justification for um, for in many ways, I think uh, uh, maybe playing some of the games they do with with how they distributed these properties. It's it's a tough one. I mean, there is always a temptation um, to look for illegal streams. I think, and I'm, maybe this is passe to talk about this. I think what is ending up happening is that um, is that um, sports networks or networks that broadcast sports don't quite understand this, understand the uh, tendencies of cord cutters yet. Um, the way that maybe um, those who distribute television shows and movies, et cetera, do. Mm -hmm. So this is probably an evolving debate, and we're probably going to have this discussion again in six months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, probably before that. <laughs> but that's the thing, right. too, that with the EFL announcing for next season, they're cutting out the middlemen. They're going directly to the consumer. So they're setting up uh, the EFL I follow. So if you're a a Barnsley supporter, Plymouth supporter, whatever supporter you are from the championship all the way through League Two, you will be able to watch every single match that you want to um, directly, and, and your club benefits from that. Your club will get a percentage, as well as the EFL will get a percentage. But but that's one thing that could work in the future in terms of giving access directly, bypassing the ESPNs, NBCs, Foxes, Comcasts, direct tvs of the world and, and having it direct access the challenge with that is that for the efl so if you're a su supporter of um i don't know barnsley uh, uh, right well say barnsley as an example it's cost it'll cost you 140 dollars to have access to every single home and away game for next season now you can't 
watch any of the other games from any of the other uh, teams. So if you do live nearby a Sheffield Wednesday supporter and, and if they don't get promoted and you want to watch their games uh, or have a friend who wants to watch those games, you have to subscribe and pay another $140 for access to that too. So, um, and then that on top of, you mean, your your regular cable or your regular Sling TV or whatever it may be, then it gets expensive. So, so that could be something, if it does work for the EFL, could be something that the Premier League and other leagues around the world will look at and say, okay, maybe we just go direct. And um, but at that at that point though too, it's it's not going to be cheap. It's going to be expensive also. So maybe that's not the best way to go. Maybe this the current system that we have is going to be better with a lot more competition. Um, and hopefully, I mean, ninety nine percent of the games that are available illegally are available are available legally. There's a very small percentage of games that uh, you can't find legally. Um, and in that case, I, I sympathize, sympathize with people that go to the legal, legal streams. The issue is, is that a lot of people are going directly to the legal streams, bypassing the, the paid approach in terms of whether you're paying Comcast or Sling or whoever. And at the end of the day, that money then is going into the pockets of the, the pirates who are profiting from the ads and malware that are posted on those uh, streaming sites and none of that goes back into the sport or back to the club or back to the league or back to the broadcaster and that and that's a broken system that that's that spells disaster in the future but yeah yeah we'll be talking about more about this i'm, I'm sure kartik in in, uh, in probably podcasts to come last but not least uh dave brunk uh sent us an email and he says i continue to enjoy your work thanks for keeping the topics interesting and timely so if you do have any questions, feedback, um, or uh, want to send us any, any messages, feel free. You can reach us at uh, email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, through Twitter at WSoccerTalk, and then through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And we'd be more than happy to read out your questions on air. So Kartik, our last segment of the show this week is our feature topic of the week. And that is just a discussion about uh, now that the European seasons are wrapping up. So we've got the the French league, the English league, the Spanish league, the German league. Um, there's a bunch of leagues that are wrapping up by Sunday night. They'll be over and done with. And of course, in some instances, there'll be the playoff games to come with the, the championship playoff uh, final coming on Memorial Day in the United States. But for the most part, the European seasons will be over. And I just want to kind of take a few minutes and take a look ahead in terms of some of the other things we have to look forward to uh, for soccer fans who are being so indulged in this great season, great soccer that we've had uh, for the months of June, July and the early part of August, what there is to look forward to. So I thought we'd kind of uh, point out some of the things that maybe you're looking forward to and and vice versa for me and uh, kind of share those with, with the listeners. So, Kartik, any anything in particular that you're looking forward to this summer? Um, I guess, I mean, when these things um, roll around, I'll be excited about it. I mean, I guess the Champions League final, uh, obviously. I, I want to see Juventus win that, personally. And I, I uh, want to see how Fox does with the coverage. Same thing with the Confederations Cup as far as how Fox does with the coverage. I'm not particularly... Interest in the tournament. I don't think anyone cares who wins the Confederations Cup. 
honestly. Uh, the Gold Cup uh, is a Gold Cup in the middle of World Cup qualifying. It is a waste of time. Uh, although, again, it gives Fox a chance to go rah-rah American and spend a lot of time talking about uh, the U.S. national team, which will probably feel kind of a, a, a minus B team. Well, um, well the, the, the interesting thing about that, though, Kartik, too, is I think the big factor about the Confederations Cup is Mexico. And it's interesting, too, because one of the Fox executives um, about a month or two ago in an interview was basically positioning Mexico as America's second team, which which to me, like, strikes me big time, like, hits me really hard because I'm like, okay, it's, it's almost like expecting, like, say, uh, broadcasters in Mexico to say to fans in Mexico, okay, Mexico is not in this tournament, but instead I want you guys to support the United States and cheer them on. <laughs> which I think would never happen, right, Kantik? I mean, like, it's it's interesting just in terms of, yes, Mexican-Americans. Um, you know, I think there's this thing going on where we get into leagues and we get into uh, uh, associations and we get into kind of uh, just like we see in politics where uh, it used to be about policy and issues. Now it's about, a, hey, are you a Democrat or a Republican? It's part of your identity. I, I think that this whole idea of, uh, oh, I'm a Premier League fan, oh, I'm a Bundesliga fan, but it's worse with MLS and, and NASL and USL. I think this has seeped into the international game where you're seeing a lot of Americans now – wanting to, uh, who have, and a lot of them are these MLS people who have an inferiority complex with Europe and South America, want to see Mexico do well so they can say CONCACAF is some kind of great confederation. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I think that's part of it. Yeah. And I think there's this kind of rah-rah CONCACAF thing that I first noticed in 2014 uh, around Costa Rica and Mexico and, and U.S. fans um, beginning to root for rivals. Now, I, I actually was rooting for Costa Rica, too, because I, I, uh, I liked how they were playing, and, and they were underdogs in a group with Uruguay, Italy, and England. Um, I don't think any of us expected Italy and England to be as bad as they were in that World Cup, but uh, it looked very daunting, and it was, a, it was a big statement for CONCACAF that Costa Rica won what appeared on paper to be the group of death uh, in the World Cup. But it's become a thing now, hasn't it? Where they're cheering on CONCACAF and I, I, I now hear about how Liga MX is, is comparable with European top European leagues from MLS fans and from U.S. soccer fans. So I think that's a big part of it, Chris. And I think Fox, as we know, is kind of either uh, involved with the trend setting on that or is ahead of the trend and creates the conversations and creates the, uh, the feel among that kind of very partisan U.S., rah-rah, uh, uh, jingoistic fan base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm more interested in... I, I, I'm probably a little bit different than, than most listeners in that I just like to watch soccer for the pure enjoyment of it. So it doesn't matter who's playing. Uh, if, if it's Mexico, great. It's, if it's New Zealand that's in the competition, wonderful. If it's Germany, you, you name it. I, I'm just going to... I'll probably try to watch almost every single game anyway. So I'm going to be watching it no matter what. But, um, but Fox kind of pushing the agenda or the narrative that uh, Mexico is kind of the second favorite team and that, that people should be watching because of that is, is, I don't know, it's just, it's very awkward because, I mean, most U.S. soccer fans are brought up is Mexico's the hated rival and that's it. So it's kind of in Fox's business interest, the best way to kind of position it in terms of, okay, well, maybe we can get people watching Mexico because cheer, to cheer on CONCACAF and maybe that's the angle that they're going yeah, to Yeah, no, but I think, I think that that's, that's happening because, again, the, there are, the hardcore U.S. fans tend to be tied in some, some respect to uh, MLS and, and they, they see MLS as a cause like it's like curing cancer, promotion of MLS, promotion of 
U.S. soccer. Now it's promotion of CONCACAF. It's this insecurity about where they are in world football, this insecurity about all the fans who watch European football or watch uh, South American football. So um, I think the same people who 10 years ago hated Mexico are now either neutral towards Mexico or want to see Mexico do well, particularly in the tournament, which the U S is not in, in the Confederations cup. And uh, look, the U S and Mexico will not be in head to head competition in the world cup either. Uh, so I think there's this, 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 this thing happening. And I, and Fox, Fox has probably not created it, but they're aiding it. Mm-hmm. And they do have their finger on the pulse of the, of the, um, MLS of, of the core MLS fan, the core MLS. And again, it's not fans of Orlando City or Seattle or Toronto. We're talking about fans of the league because there are lots of people, particularly in the media or in the blogger sphere, who are fans of MLS. That if you, they, they don't necessarily have a club they root for. They root for MLS. Mm-hmm. They root for U.S. soccer. So um, I think Fox has identified with that, that those people are with Mexico. And then we can reach out to the great, the, 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 the large Mexican American audience um, who are, um, and I think this is often forgotten by listeners, who are in many cases English language dominant. Now they do they do speak Spanish. Uh, maybe they do speak Spanish in the home, but they, they they're in workplaces and in social environments where they're speaking English. And there is the opportunity or the option for them to watch uh, football matches in English. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily wed to watching uh, the World Cup on Telemundo um, or. Um, or, or qualifiers on Univision. So um, there is there is a potential there for Fox to increase the pool of people watching Fox broadcasts of international football by really pushing the Mexico angle. So I think, I mean, I have to say, I mean, I'm condemning it from kind of this football standpoint and jingoistic standpoint. I think from a marketing standpoint, it's very smart. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And especially with Mexico being, I mean, other than, say, Germany and, and Brazil, I guess, um, I mean, in terms of the United States, probably there's going to be more people tuning in for these Mexico games than most of the other games, too. I'm stunned about the Germany thing. You don't know how many people in South and Central Florida and even in Tallahassee I've seen in the last year, uh, year and a half, just randomly wearing Germany kits. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the band. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I, that's I, yeah. I think it's just like World Cup winners. I mean, so it's it's something that they identify with. Um, I, we, we've seen the same thing with England kits, though, too, Kartik. As far as have we? <laughs> I haven't quite seen it. It's to been this a long time, <laughs> right? But yeah, the Confederations Cup. I, I'll be interested from the soccer perspective, but also from the TV coverage perspective. You got Telemundo and you've got Fox uh, dipping the toe in the water. And uh, hopefully they'll do a great job. And we've, we talked about... Um, Andres Cantor will be part of the Telemundo team. So that's, that's something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got Lothar Mateus too, which will always be uh, eye-opening no. on the Fox broadcast. But, uh, but it'll, be, it'll be a hint of what the World Cup coverage is going to be like. And um, yeah. yeah, Champions League too. I think the Champions League final, I think, I think Fox will be fine. I mean, you've got the John Strong, Brad Fiedel angle. And they're going to be at the stadium in Cardiff. Um, it should be a great game to watch, and um, I don't. And Friedel, I believe, has won a uh, won a, a title, right? He won a cup in that stadium. Oh yeah, for uh, with Blackburn. A Blackburn, okay, yeah. Huh, wow, okay. So yeah, so he'd be familiar with it, and uh, so that, yeah, there's definitely an interesting story angle for for him to talk about. Uh, I think I think it'll be fine. I have no issues with the um, the issues I have with Champions League coverage for the for Fox is more the pregame and post match, which. Sometimes I wish I don't have to watch, but I, I watched because you know I want to see what they're doing. 
Uh, FA Cup final, we've got that coming up too. Oh, I, again, I have to admit that um, the FA Cup semifinal, I think with Holden and Warren Barton, uh, without Lawless, they, they, were, they were pretty good. Um, and then same thing, you know, both legs of the semifinal. And they had Friedel for the Spurs game because he was there to, to discuss the Spurs angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and clearly, he obviously is in club and Brandon Baster and clearly has a relationship with, with Pochettino where he can um, give some analysis, mm-hmm. uh, albeit maybe a very biased analysis. But um, I, I think if that's where they go with FA Cup final studio and Champions League studio, um, they might be okay. Warren. Barton, uh, I, it's funny, I, I really have disliked him for seven or eight years, and I think the last six to nine months he's really come on. Maybe he's not as overexposed. He used to be on everything they did. He's not anymore. Um, his analysis seems to be, be uh, sharper, and, and I think a lot of that is, is the pairing with Kate Abdo. Mm-hmm. Um instead of Rob, Rob Stone. So I also want to see how she's used and how Barton's used during Confederations Cup, if it is a run-through for the World Cup. Now, again, you have eight teams. Uh, you don't have uh, uh, the, the, the volume of, of, of activity that might necessitate you having utilizing all of your personnel, your, your Bartons, your Holdens, your, your, your Abdos, your, your Ian Joys, etc. Um, that's interesting. And, of course, there is also, as was discussed on the pregame show last week, the overriding issue of potentially Eric Winalda jumping in and, and uh, becoming the technical director for the new NASL team in, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting to watch for sure, and especially the Russia angle in terms of uh, the stadiums and just the political atmosphere. Um, there's going to be a lot, lot to talk about and hopefully um, a lot of discussion on and off the pitch on, uh, for that, uh, for I think almost like, what, two or three weeks in, in June, so that's going to fill that, that right. June up. We've got the Champions League final June 3rd, uh, that'll be great. FA Cup final the end of May, uh, and then the Gold Cup in July. And uh, on paper, in terms of looking at the U.S.'s uh, first few games in the tournament, uh, pretty weak opponents. So to me, at least, Kartik, the, the tournament won't start heating up until probably the quarterfinal stage uh, of this one. But, uh, but still, these games will be on Fox and Univision. Uh, and it's always, I mean, to me, at least, Gold Cups, especially the latter stages of the competition, are always worth watching. Yeah, I I think that there's a certain entertainment aspect to the Gold Cup, uh, partly because of the poor officiating every go-round. And there is also um, a lot of color and and excitement at at the grounds and in the stadiums. But I'm not particularly interested in the tournament. Now, um, I am interested in how International Champions Cup is received this year, because I think this is is the... um, the gauntlet being thrown down. Uh, Houston, which is an MLS market, will play host to um, Manchester City and Manchester United. It was originally supposed to be in Austin. Uh, some issues with the University of Texas. So it will be uh, in Houston. And then, obviously, Miami is playing host to uh, El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. There were other uh, interesting matchups, PSG Spurs, PSG uh, Juventus, etc. this tournament. But it's really kind of the two big derbies uh, being 
uh, held on American soil. Now, we did almost get a Manchester derby in Miami a few years ago, but Manchester City lost on penalty kicks to Liverpool um, uh, or something like that. I'm trying to remember how that played out. But right. um, uh, so Liverpool played Manchester United in Miami, which was, a you know, obviously that's a that's a huge, huge rivalry. Uh, so how, how do these how, what's the feeling about these games on American soil? Look, I um uh, I'm not sure how fans of Barcelona and Real Madrid will react to it being essentially a friendly, but uh, I know how Manchester City fans act when any any issue of Manchester United. I mean, I've just had dealt with this. I, I it had tweeted and I had found the stat um, that um, this is the first time since the first four years after Sir Matt Busby uh, uh, retired from coaching, and it's the first four years after Sir Alex and Ferguson retired from coaching. Um, now, that Manchester City has finished ahead of Manchester... Uh, Manchester City has finished ahead of Manchester United four successive years in the league. Now, uh, actually, that, that post-Busby period, or the end of the Busby period, um, their Man City finished ahead of uh, Man United eight out of ten years. But there was a four-year block where uh, they did. I tweeted it. Mm-hmm. I have never had so many mentions on my Twitter and I have a, little, a lot of Twitter followers, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Right. Um, and it's, again, Man City supporters. And it was every every blogger, every Man City fan, everybody uh, around the, the, the Man City community um, – essentially being celebratory about it. I had, I had something like 400 mentions of this tweet, uh, and 400 likes and like 400, 400 likes and like 400 retweets, uh, because it is still such a motivating factor for Manchester city fans. So I think that game in Houston will be a big deal for Manchester city supporters, even though it is, um, in theory, just a friendly. So that those are going to be interesting to see how those are received and how those are covered by the U S media, which, um, at times has not embraced international champions cup because it's a, uh, it's a threat to us soccer and to MLS. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue too, that this international cup champions cup this summer is, is the biggest one yet. And, uh, the last couple of years before that had been decent, um, but there were definitely some lulls. I mean, there wasn't a, a, a lot of tremendous interest as much as you would expect. This summer will be different. I mean, not just those two games, Kartik, but also I think having Tottenham Hotspur coming into the United States. I mean, that's a huge deal in terms right. of how well they've played this year. We've had Chelsea come time after time. It's great to see Chelsea too. But, but in this case, no Chelsea this summer, but there will be Spurs. And I know from ticket sales, ticket sales are going really, really strong in uh, the different cities where Spurs are coming in. And what about uh, also having PSG? Because I think there is a bit of a underground following for PSG, and, and, and that might percolate up with them in, in, in these sorts of uh, um, circumstances. And you have Juventus coming back to the United States. Juventus is, I think, now in a, in a position where they're get, gaining more and more respect from American fans. Um, it's, it's, it's a compelling group of teams they, they're bringing over. And um, look, there's also the Guardiola versus Mourinho angle to... Um, to um, oh, yeah. Although, although it doesn't seem like they've gotten into it in the press the way uh, everybody is with Wenger now. And, um, and, and if anything, there seems to be some sort of uh, uh, brewing rivalry. Um, and, and this goes back to uh, Barcelona, uh, uh, or City of Barcelona, brewing rivalry between Pochettino and, and Guardiola. Mm-hmm. And Pochettino being an Espanol player, former Espanol player and manager, not liking some of the things Guardiola is saying, some of the things Xavi is saying in the media. Um, but there is still the Marine, you know, all these guys, all these, uh, it, it, I, 
the Premier League, we haven't talked about this that much this season, but it's becoming as much about the managers as it is about the players. As, as you see the top uh, 11 or top 15 players in the world, maybe with the exception of Aiden Hazard, maybe he's he is the, the one world-class, really elite world-class player in the Premier League. But with that exception, and maybe Alexis Sanchez, all those players are in Germany or Spain right now, or Italy. So... It's becoming so much about the managers, and I think the managers are more of a constant than players, and me and, and Americans kind of get that because we're used to American sports where coaches last much longer than they do in, in, in club football in Europe. So um, you, know, you have college football uh, programs, college basketball programs that keep coaches for 30, 40 years. You have NFL teams and NBA teams that keep coaches for 10 or 15 seasons. So um, – I think that that might be a driver of ticket sales. Mourinho, Guardiola, Pochettino, and then you've obviously got um, Zidane, one of their legends, playing legends of the game, and then whoever uh, Barcelona hires. But I think uh, I think the manager aspect plays into it. And um, look, I mean, I think NBC has understood that. They've embraced uh, the talking points around managers. ESPN, who will be covering this International Champions Cup, they've un- they understand that because it's, it's almost as if uh, um, on ESPN FC, they, they have to have a, a Mourinho segment every week to beat up on him. So um, I, I think it, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm, you know, you can't help if you're in one of those cities and it's a sold-out match, and you've got Pep Guardiola, or you have uh, uh, Mauricio Pochettino in town. You can't help if you're a soccer writer or a soccer person to cover it. Mm-hmm. You have to, right. in, in my opinion. So um, I, I'm curious to see how the press coverage is, and, and uh, if this is truly embraced the way you would think it would be. Yeah, and a lot of negativity about the International Champions Cup in previous years, um, mostly from MLS fans. But to me, that the testament in terms of ICC is by tickets sold, and and year after year. I mean, there's, there's huge stadiums, huge, uh, I mean, huge numbers of tickets sold. So fans are voting with their feet. They, they want to go see the best teams in the world uh, up close. And even if it is some, not the A team and, and it's a, a bunch of A players, but some sprinkling of B players, even Real Madrid and Barcelona, some of these B players are, are out of this world. So it's it's a good it's a good opportunity to see these teams in person. Yes, the ticket price. No, and I, and I think this is another. This is a great point you just made. Um, let me. Sorry to cut you off, but I want to j- jump on this point. Um, the B players from Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, uh, uh, to a certain extent, Man United and Man City, but not 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 as much anymore. Uh, although maybe from Man City because their academy is real good, right? Yeah. You know, D uh, and from Spurs. Spurs have really good B players. Good kids coming through their academy. They end up being guys, when you see them in these matches, you remember them when Tom Carroll ends up being the guy who saves Swansea from or helps save Swansea from relegation. You remember all the times you saw Tom Carroll in preseason uh, for Tottenham and coming through Tottenham system. Uh, and uh, there, there are guys that we saw, like, for example, you and I had seen Young in person for AC Milan. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, when they came over here for multiple friendlies. Uh, well, one year was International Champions Cup, but another year it was just it was friendlies uh, that were held by some. You and I saw him with our own eyes, and we, we identified this player as a guy that wasn't getting that much time at Milan, but you know would be an interesting potential player. Now he's at the Watford, and we feel we have a familiarity with him. Right. I think that's important as, uh, a, a, as you go on. There are guys... Um, 
that I've seen in friendlies for Manchester City uh, that then are are, uh, are key players uh, for for teams in the championship or lower end Premier League teams the next year. And you see him on American soil in these friendlies. And who knows, they might end up at your club. Yeah, I remember um, Andros Townsend playing for Spurs against uh, San Jose Earthquakes, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, just I think this was the, probably the first time I'd ever seen him play. This is well, well before he'd made, made the first team. It was just kind of a, a, young, a young and emerging star. And then you know, goes on to play for England, goes on to play for Crystal Palace, and uh, not the best player in the world by any means, but just to see that talent at such a young age and the speed at that, at that time. Well, you got to see... Iannaccio, uh, Adrian Healy has told this story yeah. on ESPN. Yeah, he got to call a game with Iannaccio as a trialist for Manchester City on, on American soil when he was 16 or 17. Uh, I think they were. Uh, I think they played Toronto or yeah. Houston or somebody. And and uh, lo and behold, uh, two years later, he Pellegrini moves him to the first team and he's scoring goals. Yeah. Um, he, so that's yeah. he was there. Were a lot of guys like that. Yeah, and he was incredible in those matches too. It just like stood out right. so, so quickly. So so international champions cup is going to be late July, early August. Uh, almost all of those matches are going to be on ESPN or ESPN two. Uh, there's also going to be international friendlies this summer. I know France is playing in England. I think it's in July. But but anyway, look, look at worldsoccertalk.com. We've got the, all the schedules for those. Uh, we've got uh, Community Shield, which is coming up in uh, early August, and that's going to be between Chelsea and either Arsenal or Spurs. So if Arsenal wins the FA Cup, they will play in the Community Shield against Chelsea in early August at Wembley. Uh, if uh, Arsenal loses and Chelsea wins the FA Cup, then that means that Spurs, as coming in second in the Premier League, will then play Chelsea at Wembley uh, in early August. So that'll be a great game to kick off uh, the Premier League season next year. And then, of course, we've got uh, Mexico against the USA and other World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Mexico-USA one is June 11th. Uh, It's going to be on Fox and Univision. Uh, I mean, that's the the monster of all games. And that one, I believe, is at uh, Azteca Stadium. And... um, and then also if we've got MLS, we've got MLS playing through the, the entire summer too. So hopefully there'll be some, some good games to point out. And actually that's the good thing about MLS at this point. They're probably uh, so thankful that the European seasons are ending this weekend because after that point then they've got some uh, breathing room in terms of trying to get some uh, viewers and get them over from the European season into Major League Soccer and stop bumping up those TV numbers. Anything uh, to add there, Kartik, in terms of uh, some of the other games we're looking forward to or any of those that we just mentioned? No, I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's a nice break from having to wake up very early in the morning for uh, for Premier League and Bundesliga games. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Um, and um, uh, that, that's about it. I mean, I, I think what ends up happening is that uh, we are now in – entering a World Cup year. So um, any break you can have from soccer uh, that you're going to have from soccer is probably going to be in the next few months, realistically, because then when you even have international breaks, uh, they're going to be these these qualifiers or these qualifying playoffs or these intercontinental playoffs or UEFA playoffs um, in uh, September, October, November in those those international breaks and then uh, uh, you know, on right into a World Cup. So uh, it's going to be intense and uh, yeah, the summer of soccer uh, maybe uh, the one love we have before a really intense uh, next uh, next twelve months. Yeah, and, and in some ways too, it's it's not even a lull though. Too, I mean, it's definitely with the Confederations Cup and Gold Cup, um, some big competitions coming up this summer. Uh, for me, it's 
it's usually a, a change in viewing habits. So, so when I kind of go into the summer, I usually kind of change my habits where I'm watching games mostly at night rather than in the morning or early afternoon. So I kind of end up watching um, whether it's more major league soccer or more uh, gold cup games or more international games, such as the friendlies coming up uh, from ICC, etc. So, so a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. So Kartik, uh, where can listeners find you on the internet? You can find me at KKFLA seven three seven on uh, on uh, excuse me on Twitter, or you can just friend me, send me a friend request on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot more than I'm on Facebook, but uh, if you want to have more private conversations with me, uh, feel free to do that. You can DM me on Twitter; my DMs are open. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday or sometimes Friday. Uh, Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, over to you. Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.